Hello, listeners. Yamina here. Welcome to the Dr. GPCR podcast. We are excited to share that the Dr. GPCR ecosystem 2.0 platform opens to all beta testers starting June 15, 2022. We plan on opening the ecosystem slowly to resolve any kind of kinks as soon as possible. You can visit us at ecosystem.drgpcr.com and explore the new site. Access is restricted to members of the GPCR field and each signup will be approved based on one's involvement in the field. Once your signup is approved, you'll be able to enter the ecosystem. You'll also have the option to select a plan and get access to all things Dr. GPCR, including the upcoming Dr. GPCR Summit, access to new podcast episodes before they even get released to the general public, our new group discussion and forums, our new and improved job board, and Learning Center, well, you'll be able to take a course or even prepare and share a course with your colleagues. Discover GPCR companies in one place and much more. Take advantage of everything that the new GPCR dedicated online playground has to offer today by visiting ecosystem.drgpcr.com and signing up. This is the only place where GPCR scientists, trainees, and GPCR organizations can thrive and where it's only about science and GPCRs. Think ResearchGate meets LinkedIn meets Amazon at the tip of your fingers. Visit ecosystem.drgpcr.com to start your journey today. Also, make sure that you mark your calendar for the third edition of the Dr. GPCR Summit. This year, the summit will be held between October 10th and 16th. Stay tuned for more soon. Visit ecosystem.drgpcr.com or visit our old website, which is still active, drgpcr.com, to explore everything that we've been doing in the past two years. And now, let's dive into this episode. Hello, everyone. This is Yamina from Dr. GPCR, and today I have the pleasure of having with us Stuart Mosley. And today we are talking about a difficult topic, which is measuring success in academia. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Amina. Hi. Uh, thank you so much for having me again. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be back uh, on the podcast, and I really look forward to our, our chat today. I'm super excited to have you on. And before we hit record, we were thinking, you were talking about how many times we've spoken, and it's always a pleasure. So this is thank part you. three of our conversation, and um, it's it's a difficult topic that we picked today. Yeah, uh, but I think it's, you know, the 800-pound gorilla in the room. I think it's uh, an issue that virtually every working scientist deals with at a, virtually every level, at a very junior level all the way up to a very senior level. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that issue is is sort of uh, how, you know, how do we choose who's successful or not? How do we chart progress? How do we engineer progress? And how do we reward progress? You know, many review boards... Uh, of many grant founding councils and sure you have to read in depth but a lot of the time also people look at metrics because it's much easier and it's especially easier for metrics at universities where there could be large numbers of people or at organizations organizations less so so let's say you know pharma industry and stuff they for a long time they've not really had a, a publication interest they're starting to now because it's a it's an issue and it's a way of getting publicity and stuff but uh, definitely in academia, it's still. And uh, I, I clearly remember the sort of the dawn of the H index, which I feel partly responsible to bringing in because I, I did this way back in 2008, 2009 at NIH for my green card. 
And uh, I started looking up for biometrics and I found, you know, the Hirsch paper. Uh, it's a, he's a physicist and it was about gaining tenure in physics and stuff. And back then he said, uh, actually, if I, if I quote the paper correctly, an H index of 18 for physicists was, was considered that for tenured professors and stuff. We think it's pretty easy in biomedical science because we publish a lot more. I mean, if you're a physicist, you don't publish that much. I mean, I have tremendously intelligent you know, physicist friends and they don't publish a tenth of what I do. Biomed side tends to be very heavy on publication and a recognition of that. And I think as far as like a metricization and a sort of publication output, biomedical scientists are under the most amount of pressure, I would say, just for volume. If I understand where you're coming from is the fact that we need a way to measure success mm -hmm. and measuring success has been historically done through publications. Yeah. And the pressure of publishing has been there. What is there from a very, from the moment you enter a lab mm -hmm. to the moment where you start running your lab and want to run your lab. Mm -hmm. And I was going to say, I remember, you know, also when I applied for my green card, looking up the, the impact of my publications and realized actually I never thought about it. To me, it stopped about mm -hmm. experiment, publication quality results, yeah. paper, going through the whole mm -hmm. review process, champagne, what it got accepted. Sometimes it was more easier than others, and that's it. Mm -hmm. But it, there is a whole world back there that quantifies mm -hmm. your data, yeah. your success of how yeah. many times you know, people read it, what's the reach, and things like that. And the interesting thing is that uh, the sort of you know, impact factors are a dirty word. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think so too. I, I hate it. I hate it beyond belief. I, I I hate it because it's 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 probably the worst. I mean, people will hate me for this. I don't care. I can I I read any paper I like. It doesn't you know. I don't believe it ten times more in one journal or another. I don't think that something of nine is anything more than something of five or six or whatever. Read yeah. the paper. Read the paper. It doesn't matter. Read the paper. And if you don't like it, you don't like it, but read the paper. And it's just, it, I mean, the, the, the impact factor was a bibliometric. It was there for librarians to see how, how highly accessed or used a certain thing was. And that was it. It ended at the librarian. It was just for them to buy more copies of that magazine or that book. And this is the thing, is that, and also sort of, we live in an age of electronic data, and yet uh, impact factor and citations and H indices are all based on reported citations. They're not yeah. based on views or looks or reads or interactions. Exactly. And they really should be, because a lot of people could read your work but not cite it. <laughs> and you can't prove it. Exactly. You, you can't prove that they didn't get it from your work. So then it's like a dead interaction. Yeah. But saying that, you know, the converse is the clickbait world. And the clickbait world definitely does impact on science. Unfortunately, there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of scientific articles are written on hot topics. And you can just see in the last three or four years, if you look at scientists that have uh, jumped on the COVID bandwagon, all of a sudden they have tremendous uh, sort of impact increase. And this is just because this is a, a topical story. Yes. And that's it. And people have clearly pursued that to get more citations and more indices. And sure, they can say it's important, blah, 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 blah. But 
Yeah. You can see a lot of people have jumped ship quite consciously to jump on that bandwagon. Yeah. And the question there is, 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 is that anything other than just hopping on a, a trend? And there's many, many, many trends in science. Uh, and the problem there is, is it directing science in the right way? Or are you just hunting recognition? Because recognition is turning into what, and so universities have realized this and they push more and more social interaction, which is good, but unfortunately, so much of that social interaction is publicity. Yes. Is publicity as opposed to outreach and impact. It's good to engage and it's good to discuss and it's good to disseminate information, but if it's done with the purpose of just getting headlines, and you can see this reading newspapers. There's a very clear uh, impact and bias and push from certain institutions and certain organizations to flood the market with their output. Mm -hmm. And yet there are many more outputs. And uh, you often see this also with pundits as well. You know, so scientific pundits, there'll be people that are the go-to person for that thing, and the paper goes to those people. So this yeah. is... Part of the issue of metricizing and part of the issue of publicizing science as well is that there becomes this sort of, uh, and it is an elitism system. And elitism, obviously, we think of as being good from a point of view of being it's very good. But then it's a problem because it's a small system. There are lots of scientists, but there's only one science and one nature, and that's it. And obviously, there are all the little breakdown versions of stuff. But these, but you know, so much of the culture of science and recognition of output and promotion and the generation of our academic system is based on these things, the science right. of nature paper, and that's it. And it's just, it's just not good enough. It's not very inclusive. And some people m might not actually want to play that game. And there's no sure. consideration of this. There's no consideration of a person that thinks that actually the, the content is important. Agreed. As opposed Agreed. to the the output journal. And Agreed. personal experience, I've seen people. So the big issue with these things is the 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 the, the importance that's imbued in these publications causes immense amounts of horrendous behavior and activity often in scientists. And also people just hold back work in this desperate hope to get this thing. They keep submitting again and again and again doing these things so actually it curtails slightly the the speed and dissemination of information and people then consider that oh if they put it out in a lesser journal that it's not as important and i hate that phrase lesser journal yes well you made a, a <clears throat> ton of great points so i'm going to take us back to the beginning and i love the fact that you said you know the impact factor with the journal the science is pub if published in does not matter to you and not I, at complete, all. I completely agree with you on that and we've tried that with dr gpcr to you know break down these barriers and you're right data is the data you may not like the person you may not like the top whatever the data Doesn't never matter. lies you can read the interpretation you may not agree with the interpretation but the data is yeah. the data and that's that's one of the reasons why we've always strived to offer the opportunity to everyone on, in the field at any level to come and present their work. At the summit, all our programs have been or put together organically. 
the virtual cafes have been organic. I sent out hundreds of emails and I said, this is the number of slots we have. This is the link, first come, first served. And if you really want to present, just email me in case there was no more availability. Because mm-hmm. the, just because we say we're going to do the virtual cafe once a month and you email me and you tell me, you mean I really have this really cool story and I want to tell it to the world, I would never say no. Mm-hmm. And it, it's similar with, with, the, uh, with the papers and also with conferences. You know? Yeah, I mean, I would say that if you, sit, if you sit down and think about it, it's quite scary to think that actually virtually everything that is the cause of this problem of assessment of quality or assessment of output, it's down to this fact. It's down to this fact that people get jobs based on their science or nature paper. People yeah. get invited to conferences based on their science or nature or their cell paper. Sorry, cell, haven't mentioned you yet. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's it was, true, you know? It's absolutely 100% true. It, it's 100% it's, true. It's sad because it makes me think about all those scientists who may have not... You, okay, let's take a step back. Getting being in an environment that is conductive to to doing good research to asking or thinking about big problems important problems and also being lucky in order to be able to get the data mm-hmm. you know that's groundbreaking mm-hmm. it's just playing the lottery somehow sometimes and then yeah, getting and to get that it past the editor yeah exactly and then get it past the editor but i'm thinking about all those scientists who worked really hard who were unlucky because the project didn't work the funding got cut and decided to leave science or do something else and the question there is how do we retain those people is there a system Mm -hmm. for us to provide in general to provide scientists who don't have the opportunity or the luck somehow to publish in nature science and cell Mm -hmm. In order to stay in the field, is there a way to mm-hmm. measure success in addition to the system that is available right now? Because we talked about it. it's a ship. It's not yeah. a speedboat. We can't say, you know what? Doesn't matter. These are the new standards. Whether you publish 10 papers in Cell or in any other journal, you get in. Yeah. It's the, I think, the very simple thing is, is that the way to change this is the way to choose what we want as our outcome. In the current system, all we want in our system is the production of those papers. Yeah. And it's either science, nature, or cell, or the next tier down, or the next tier down. And that's it. That's actually it, because that's all, the, all you then need to ascend in that system, be rewarded financially, and then once you reach a position of invulnerability or large size, is then you re-propagate that concept. And that's all we're producing. And that's all it will ever produce. This is it. We have to change. What are we actually producing in science? Why don't we have big goals and go and do them? Why don't we do, you know, a friend of mine used to run uh, a website called Moonshot for Life. Why don't we do moonshots? Why don't we do CERN? Why don't we do ITER? In bioscience, we've had these. We've sort of had these, but they've, you know, like, you know, human genome project, uh, human proteome project, but we don't really put ourselves together. So, I mean, personally, you know, there should be, there should be two worlds. There should be one world where people want to do these things 
and that's fine. There should be another world uh, where output is defined by actually doing things and having a goal, having a problem, and solving it, and not just producing papers. Yep. Because, you know, and it's, it's easy to say that I'm sure science that does go into papers that produces these things does produce things at the end of the day. But unfortunately, 95% of the concept or the thoughts of the scientist doing the work is, I need this paper. Because if I have this paper, yep. it proves that I'm a good person. And yes. one person with a JVC paper and one person with a nature paper, it is not even close because people are told and convinced when they're on boards or committees, oh, well, we have to give it to the person with a nature paper because they're obviously much smarter and much better than the person with a JVC paper. They've probably not read the paper, of course, but that's the decision they make. So all you ever get then is this fight and battle for these positions. And these journals know that. These journals have this golden position of controlling the, the the opening of the doors of power. Yeah. And so then all you get is population of academia and industry with people that have gone through that process. And so that's all you're going to get. That's all you're going to get. Yeah. So, so, let, so let's, yeah. and it's funny because you mentioned, you know, the, the goal being publishing in high impact journals. Mm -hmm. and then basically the discoveries reported in these high impact journals is in a way secondary. Completely. It's like just a consequence of wanting to publish there. Yep. As long um, as you're there, then that's it. That the content, yeah. the content and the import of what's there is is secondary. And it could be good, it could be mediocre, it could be me too. I mean, you know. Yeah. I've seen, you know, you know I won't say this because I'll offend some people that work on these things, but you see the same thing over and over again on the front cover. And it's like, come on, we've done this. Okay, move on. <laughs> and it's like, you still see the same old thing. And it's like, okay, yeah, we've done it once. You, you, you get one shot on the front cover and that's it. And after that, yeah. nah, it's generic. But that's, that's the issue. There's just, and it underpins everything. And really, and the, the problem is we're never going to get out of it unless we, and I work for medical research council in, in the uk uh, for about four years and i actually quite liked the concept there we had a total change of policy with respect to the type of research we were doing all of a sudden there was a focus away from say hypothalamic pituitary work to uh, work on uterine fibroids and say prostate cancer so it was going from the head to below the waist and that was a government edict saying these are pressing healthcare issues in our country can you start working on these guys and do some research on this? And a lot of scientists were quite resistant to it because they had been stuck in their field and they've been working on hypothalamic pituitary axis for so long, blah, 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 blah. And this told me that, oh, are you scientists or are you just engineers with a certain type of problem? A scientist would go, okay, that's a good challenge. Let's get it done. And this is what sort of used to happen. I mean, you can see this in the Second World War. There was a, a a, a drive in many countries and just to get, get progress and change or like with the moonshot there was a drive and there was a pressure and those were all political the same with covid and sars before it there were big drives and pushes to learn more about these problems but there are you know you can choose many issues you could choose heart disease you could use you know you could choose you know copd we all know about cancer we all of these things when I mean, there's a there's a push now in the states with biden for you know a great cancer push but unfortunately so many of those things then fall back into this process of it has to be in this journal and if it's not in this journal it's not going to get funded again and yeah. it's just it's 
it's just not true that those people are any better than other people that don't publish in that journal. It's just not true. I can tell you, I mean, it's, I'm sure you've seen this and I've seen it as well. The, the fate and the attrition rate of young PIs who had their science and nature paper and get a PI job, it's like 90%. Yeah. Because you know a lot of that paper, actually, there's a very high uh, profile scientist on that paper who's probably last. <laughs> and exactly. it's like, and when that scientist then goes out on their own and gets cut off from that very high powerful profile scientist, then they don't survive because it's that difficult. other scientist still, is still in that field and they get the access because they know the people in the journal and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. And just okay. from a numbers point of view, there's a limited number of articles that can be published by these people and therefore there's a limited number of successful people. And um, that's just not effective. That's just not effective. I mean, a great example of somebody that, you know, slipped through the system but has changed our world. And sadly, unfortunately, it's 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 sort of dying a death. But there was a guy called Jonathan Ive, who was not a particularly he didn't go to Oxford or Cambridge, but he ended up changing the world through Apple Macintosh and being the chief, one of the chief designers of the reinvention of Apple Mac. He came up with the iPod and the iMac. And, you know, he wasn't a, a typical standard scientist and person. And greatness comes everywhere. It's not the sole premise of certain academic institutions. It's not the sole premise. And it's just, this is, you know, the, the, the sad truth is this is our society and has been our society for a very, very, very long time. Yeah. And so the question is, are we going to be part of the solution or are we going to be part of the precipitate? Just an old joke of a friend of mine. <laughs> but we've got to be smarter. I, there are so many things in science. There are so many things in science which exist only because people are resistant to changing them. Not because they can't be changed. Everything can be changed. Everything can be improved. I think in some ways, there are parts of society which are uh, effecting massive changes. And it's just based on will. It's just based on will. Are there enough people? And it's a problem because this is one of the great issues of you know digital media and digital communication now. It gets around the standard channels of information and dissemination, and it gives power to people like you who want to change the system. There are people like us. There are people that are interested in change. There are people. And we can find other voices, and we can make uh, a realization that there's a plan and people do actually have a desire. And I know people in very big positions of power that are really interested in this. Uh, and it's, they do have allies out there and having uh, digital global access to people and to have ideas out there on the internet to hear people talk about them. And you realize, oh yes, there is a movement. There is interest in people to change this because I don't want to change things just to change them, but this is to change things to make things better because the attrition rate, that are we just selecting for a group of people that are feeling ruthless enough to be part of this system? I actually, I mean, people will not believe this. I intentionally don't play part of this system because I don't want to be part of the system because I don't think it's rational. It makes life 10 times harder than it should be but I don't think, I don't want to, you know, so if we have, have cool, interesting data, I'm going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and waiting and sending and resending and resending information. I want it out there. I want people to see it. Uh, so things like BioArchive, MedArchive are 
helping this tremendously. But unfortunately, the vast majority of these papers are just basically preprints before being accepted in the journal. You know, it's it's very ironic. A lot of people use the archive system once they already have pretty much known that it's going to be accepted in these big journals already. So they're not doing, you know, I would take this as a, as a step forward if people didn't then submit to a, a you know, firewall journal. And this is an, an interesting thing as we talk about impact and talk about how important these big pipe papers are. They're all behind paywalls. Well, that's, that's the other thing. So that's the other thing. So again, a lot of, a lot of great points, but I think one, in order to change, we need to admit that there is something wrong. <clears throat> there is a problem. We need to have a, a, situ, a status of the situation and having the outlets, you know, the internet and having the ability to talk about the fact that the system is the way it is. Yeah. It's not perfect because it doesn't fit everyone. There, mm-hmm. I don't think there is a system that will fit everybody. That being said, you mentioned, you know, picking between somebody who has a nature paper versus somebody who has a JBC paper. That's a, that's how it is because they're going to pick the nature. Yeah. So that being said, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of of someone. Actually, I'm the JBC person. Yeah. And when you when you've been raised as a scientist in this idea that if it's only a JBC paper, or only a molecular pharmacology paper, then it's great, good for you, but you're never gonna get to that point. It's just, I think it makes you feel inferior somehow as a scientist and as a human Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, because a lot of times, again, maybe I may be speaking for myself, but a lot of people I I talked to, including myself, before I, I switched out from academia, I tended to um, associate my value as a scientist based on the publications that I had. So having a publication, work very hard, long hours to get that publication. It's a JBC. You're proud of it, but then you're like, it's just a JBC, but it's exactly. not true because mm-hmm. you never know where that research takes you. Maybe somebody yeah. even smarter or luckier is going to take that research and is going to solve a problem, but not having that piece of Lego that you put out there may prevent mm-hmm. them from going that long. Yeah, it's uh, it's here's a perfect analogy for you. I just thought of it quickly. Often I get periods of in, of intelligence every now and again. So it, 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 I just thought of it as you were just mentioning like that is that. So let's analogize this. There was a great paper in two thousand four. Now I think Bamsi Mutha. It was the start of bioinformatics. It was the demonstration, and this was from Broad Institute, and it was the, the demonstration that they were looking at um, features that could be identified as typifying factors for type 2 diabetes looking in muscle from 35,000 patients. Now, standard genetics does the Manhattan plot and looks for the one factor, the one thing that stands up, that controls mm-hmm. everything, and that's it. And we've seen this, and we've seen this fail gloriously with amyloid precursor protein, unfortunately. So the one single factor which we think is important actually tends not to be important. So that one single factor, that's our nature paper, okay? Our JVC papers are all those other 
little factors. So when the Muthler group did the bioinformatics and clustering using GSEA, they realized that actually when they didn't see individual significant difference from one factor in 35,000 patients, when they clustered lots of smaller, seemingly insignificant bits of data together, oh, they got the answer. So let's think about all those researchers who do publish in JVC as opposed to science and nature. And just because of numbers, just because of numbers, not smarts, just numbers. There's a very small number of nature papers a year in biomedical science, but there's lots of other journals. So basically you're saying, discount all the information from all those other people, only look at one or two. Are you going to get the right answer? Are you going to get you know, science from that? No. It's gone. It's gone. The concept, I mean, the majority of people don't even read papers anymore. 30% of the things reading papers are machines. It's not people anymore, it's machines. So the nature of impact on what it is is gone. People mine information from many sources. So a lot of the work we're doing now are on orphan GPCRs. There's no information on them. It doesn't matter. There's actually data out there. You can harvest and you can find things that are cryptic. So I'm not using anyone's fancy schmancy nature paper. I'm using data, good old-fashioned data. And it's the same, you know, when I do, you know, combinatorial text analysis, I don't say, oh, no, 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 no. I tell my algorithms, only look in science and nature, please, because that's right. Everything else, junk it. And it's like, no, I use everything. I don't have a, you know, this is like going back to saying only white people can vote and stuff. It's that bad. I'm sorry, people, it's that bad. It is, this is like a it's just scientific apartheid almost. It really is. But no one ever says that because the people yeah. who profited and control the system and have the, the voice that people hear are part and parcel of that system. And yeah. I'm part of that system as well, but I don't buy it. But too many people just haven't got the guts or the cojones to say it, that it is bad and it is wrong because. We do lose scientists, and we do lose hope, and we do lose interest. And people that actually have a drive and a force and a, uh, a, a sort of like a, a, an impetus to really make a change and do it, and this is a big difference, in a good way. Because the problem with papers, there's two names that mean anything. Yep. Team, players, team players don't get in there. You have a... A postdoc who may be one of many on a team fighting with each other. And this is how it happens. I know it, you know it, everyone yep. knows it. fighting for that first place. And then their boss will be, you know, control of the last place and everything else in between. Yeah. And you can see that, that they, you know, universities, organizations have algorithms to see how far down the list you are. And I've known people fight over being positions where they can be first on the second line. Yep. Oh yeah, it's that, and that's not important. What's more important to me, and there are some places there are people that are looking into teamwork and things like that, but it's just not enough. It is not enough, and all this metricization actually is now being used by people to, to do a bad version of their job. So let's say you're a, a dean or a provost or a rector or something, and rather than familiarize yourself with the work of one of your employees who has worked to death. And, you know, science is horribly, horribly poorly paid. I mean, it's yep. 
just shocking, absolutely shocking. It's like teachers. You think you poor people, and I've spent actually all day with teachers. I've spent, I've been at the international day of my kids' school all day, and you know somehow there are professions where it's accepted that you get paid way less than other professions. And you think, why do we keep doing this? It's got to stop. And science is unfortunately one of those. Sorry, grad students out there, it's a badly paid profession on average. There's one or two rich people, but deep. Yeah. All of your years of school and all of your years of grad, of grad school and all the years of postdocing, you don't get much. Sorry, but this should change because the problem is you don't get much because some people get a hell of a lot, and they keep on getting a hell of a lot forever and ever and ever and ever because of the system because they hold positions in which the ease of their access to these anointed journals is everything. And this is the thing I really have to criticize this aspect because I think it is the linchpin and it doesn't make any sense anymore. It made sense back in the day where these were the only journals that existed. I mean, these are old venerated journals. I'm used to see them in news agents back in the days when people used to go about shopping and buy things and read them with their hands. Remember that kids? You probably don't. Uh, <laughs> yes. That used to I, be the way it was. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, actually I do. Actually there were, there were uh, editions of, of these journals at the library and I'm showing my age just- now. <laughs> but in the U- in the UK where I grew up, there would be a news agent called WH Smiths, and we'd buy books and newspapers and stuff. And they would have only that they, they wouldn't have science because I was American, so they just have Nature, and that was it. And every next to new scientist, another you know. So wow. I used to read Scientific American when I was a kid as well, when I was about ten. So I think I was an odd child, but <laughs> uh, but I just found it fascinating, and, and I didn't mind half the articles being over my head, and that was fine because it was good to just experience yeah. things. But now in this world. Access is not an issue. You know, sole publication in these things doesn't mean a great deal. And actually what you really can see, because you can analyze things very quickly that you couldn't do when I was a student, you can see that some papers in these journals are not very good. And you see that other papers in other journals are really good. And the the only separation is just that they were lucky enough or not to get in there. And as you mentioned, there are so many reasons, not many of them scientific, (laughs) that actually dictate that. And this, this ease of assessing quality and assessing efficacy and output based on this journal apartheid, essentially, to give it uh, its real term, because it really is segregating people and ensuring success for some and, and ensuring failure, quote-unquote failure, for others. Yeah. Because yeah. it does, it does do that. Because a grant funding body will say, "Well, you know, this person's had a cell paper, and this person hasn't had a cell paper, based on received knowledge that this one is good and that one is bad." Because I haven't read it and I don't understand it, but here's the number, and therefore it means quality. We're getting into the world of 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 assessing. So I was a big fan of Stephen Jay Gould when I was a kid, and I used to read all his books and stuff about the mismeasure of man, IQ tests. They were handed to people. Yes. It's as bad as that. I'm sorry. It's as bad as that. And it's just, we've got rid of these myths of attributing intelligence to a certain group of people, you know, to men, to white men, to white men in a certain place. Yeah. It's like, is that really true? No, I don't think so. Uh, so let's get over it in science. And it yeah. really, and the reason to get over it is what we're doing is actually really important. And this is the, the, one of the big issues. I, I always joke in the lab, and sorry to people that work in biscuit factories, I always say, we're not making biscuits here. You know, lots of people can make biscuits, and the world isn't going to have a problem if we stop making a certain type of biscuit. 
it's a very important job working with a biscuit factory, but it's just an analogy. Biomedical science and what we do with GPCRs is really important. And GPCRs are everything. I mean, yeah. you know, we know the trope of 30 to 40% of pharmacotherapeutics, blah, 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 blah. This is the best, most practical biomedical science. Iron channels, sure. I love you guys. Whatever. <laughs> Deeper deep. It, 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 yeah, it, it, it is true. It, it is really true. is. We are, we are at the cusp. If you have a good research, good target, you're close to a therapy that can help someone. So it, it's really yeah. important. And should we then choose winners and losers in this important game based on an artificial metric? Because the question is, even if somebody thinks it's good, it's still a beauty contest. It's still, oh, I think it's good. Somebody else says, I don't think it's good. And that's it. And this comes to peer review. I mean, we all know what peer review looks yes. like and smells like is that it's an, it's an approval, you know, that, that your great piece of research could have been looked at by two people and they could have looked at it in a very sort of poor way and gone, oh, yeah, that's fine. That's it. And that's fine. And it's like, dude, is that all you need? That's well. That that's the other thing is that when you when you well, aside from the journals and the disparities and the difficulty to access and and everything, the other thing is the peer review process should be revisited because yes, your paper goes to two people. When you submit your paper, you want to exclude X Y Z because you never know or they're working on the same topic and you want to well, make sure. That's a scary thought. Why do you exclude X, Y, Z? Clearly, people do it because they think they're going to get yes. stalled or bounced, and that's a horrible concept. Yes, yes, exactly. Because most likely, it had happened or it has happened in the past. So you are taught that this is what you should be doing when you submit your paper, and and then you and if you're lucky enough, you your paper ends up in the hands of two reviewers that will read it. They're experts at that that will read it very carefully and will provide an honest opinion. And they will not be looking at who you are because I, the other thing is, I think peer review process should be anonymized both ways. You as a reviewer, you should not know where that paper comes from. You shouldn't see the authors. You shouldn't be able to Google and see, okay, what have they done before? Yeah. You should only see the data. And hiring processes, even at universities or even review sure. grant review processes, should be completely anonymized. It should be the data. Oh yeah, I mean, I I actually work for some organisations, and I'm actually totally anonymous. And when I'm not allowed any any form of recognition, any form of contact, any form of knowledge of who or what I am, and everything I do, I actually assiduously ignore. And keep away, and we have videos of implicit bias and stuff, things, mm -hmm. things like that, which is true. Uh, but the worst bias is bias towards these impact factors and these channels. That's by far the biggest bias. But we don't talk about that. Everything else, and this is, you know, all those other things we started to think about, and we're being progressive on those things. So if you have a certain type of name, if you have a certain ethnicity, if you have a certain gender, if you have a certain disposition, we're taking those on, but we're not taking on this. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Prejudice. It's a prejudice. It's 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 nothing it but a prejudice, and it's it a prejudice like all prejudices based on lack of knowledge. It's like, did you read it? Do you think it's any good? And the problem there is, there's only a small number of people that are asked, "Is it any good?" And exactly. So and why? 
yeah. and why. I think well, we, you know, we, before I think we hit record, we were talking about how could we propose a solution at another way of quantifying success. And now that we're talking about it, yeah. why not, you know, anonymize the applications when you're applying for a faculty position? Anonymize, you know, just take the data, share the paper, and give it yeah. to the committee and say, this yeah. person published 10 papers. No showing what journal it's in, nothing. If they're not an expert in the field, find an expert, have them read it and get an unbiased opinion. Again, it stays an opinion, but at least it's data-based. It's anonymized to some extent to say, well, wow, this is really important because the field needs answers to questions X, Y, Z. Yeah. And adding it to what you mentioned, having a goal, a scientific yeah. goal would be important. So anonymizing, yeah. saying this is the impact because it answers questions towards this major goal. Yeah, exactly. I, if I was to be head of a university, which I'll never be, uh, <laughs> I, would change the whole, I would change the whole darn thing. I would have my faculty, I would say, okay, I would be bold and brave and put on our page. This is our goal. Our goal is to do this thing in 10 years. And I would say, you're going to be hired and you're going to work and everything that we do is going to go to try and do this goal. Even if we fail, we'll tell you how close we got to it. But you know what? I think as far if you want to talk about impact of universities with outer society, people can understand that goal. If you write it simply and you say what we're going to do, then you can prove how far you've got there. Nobody is going to be upset that you didn't get there. It's not easy to do these things. It's not easy. I mean, people, I know people in the field that have said, oh, yeah, we have a chance to cure all cancers in 10 years. And I think, no, you're not. <laughs> you're really not. But if you choose something small, and it's not too small, but realistic, people will give you, people understand that science is not easy. But if that is your metric and that is your outcome, as opposed those two X amount of papers that no one has read in a journal in which we have this uh, this this impact factor that's been invented that gives it some imprimatur of quality yeah. based yeah. on two people you know saying I think it's okay. It's yeah. sort of then what do you want? Do you want a stack of papers or do you want an action actionable goal with respect to something? Just and this is a problem. You know, I'm not a politician and I never will be. Just Put your marker down and say, this is what I want to do. Be JFK and say, by the end of this decade, I want to put a man on the moon, blah, blah, blah. Have a bit of guts. Have a bit of guts. Because people might actually work a bit harder and a bit better if it's Great. just doing that as opposed to, oh, here's some money. Fight amongst each other. Doesn't matter what you do, but the winner is the person that gets into this journal. That's it. That's yeah. it. And if you happen to, I mean, so I, I know Stan Prusner quite well. And, uh, you know, he told me, oh, yeah, I just got lucky, Stuart. You know, I was just working on Prion and this thing came up and that was it. And it, it totally discourages innovative, imaginative science because it might take you the rest of your career to see the importance of what that specific person is working on. That's not going to get you a science and nature paper. That's going to get you a whole bunch of other papers, but no one's going to recognize you unless you happen to be lucky. And all of a sudden, the thing you works on tends to be something enormous. So it discourages. It, it just encourages people to chase this index and engineer whatever they can do to get that in. And to people out there, not many people read science and nature. As scientists, we think it's everything. 
everyone else no nah, they don't read it <laughs> exactly exactly and you made you made another interesting point about you know i love the idea of having a goal as an organization as a yeah. lab and full full disclosure in my experience whenever i wrote uh, you know an application to get some funding there was always this lofty thing at the end because you can you know with this research, we're going to cure something or we're going to do something. Mm -hmm. But the problem in my mind was it was very difficult to write these things because I couldn't see the connection between solving yep. some little thing and yep. where, how does it get us there? And to be honest, full disclosure, it sounded like BS to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, so what? Sure. But then, but, but the, then I never went or as scientists, we never go or not enough times go through the exercise of saying, well, this is this big lofty goal. We know that we may not be able to get there in the next decade, but here are the stops that we'd like to make. And all of us have this goal. And a lot of people will tell you, well, in academia, the beauty is that you can basically research anything and everything, and it's up to you, you know, as yep. long as you have the money, which is great mm -hmm. because people tend to compare academia to the private sector. And the private sector has it has its advantages. It is driven. It is goal oriented, goal driven. What determines that goal? Let's not get into that. I think most of the time it's an MBA person somewhere who says, "Well, this is what we need to do, and these are the numbers we need to make." But we have the luxury in academia to have these lofty goals. Yet we still we still don't make them. Yep. We don't because make those goals. Yeah, because it's, it's not our business. Our business is just to do the small. And so there's a phrase here where people, it's often hilarious. So I work in a, in a place where uh, English is a foreign language. And uh, it's always funny when I describe to people the, the descriptive essence of what the word academic actually means when you're in Britain. Academic actually is a byword for useless, <laughs> fortunately, <laughs> or not of importance. And so let's say it's the end of a end of a end of a season in soccer and two teams are playing and they're both in the middle of the table they're not going to win anything they're not going to get demoted to the league below it's called an academic uh game it's academic it's only of of like technical interest it's of no import and this is a problem is that is. uh unfortunately there's a lot of people in science that you know like i mentioned before about you know, the work we had in the MRC, they are more than happy to keep on doing their little niche because it's their little niche, it's their series of experiments, and all of their friends know their work and they, get and they publish in their thing and their friends read their grant reviews and their friends give them money because they're doing their research that they've always done and that's it. And all they're doing is they're furnishing themselves. And they can, as the, at the end, they can say, well, we're doing this because of disease and it's like right at the bottom. No, this has got to get the other way around and say- exactly. It doesn't matter who or what you are doing. This is our issue. You jump on board, talented people, and you fix it. So I just saw you know, uh, uh, a tweet from Musk and stuff. It's like, I'm sure everyone sees tweets from Musk because it's like, who else doesn't? <laughs> uh, and he because said that Musk. he's, yeah, exactly, exactly. So love him. he's one of the, he is, he, he, he gets everything because love him or hate him, people watch him. So, uh, and he's going to set up some sort of like legal department or whatever because of his problems. And he said, just, you know, just send me a tweet with three reasons why you're wonderful and why I should hire you. And that's it. And it's like, dude, it's like, just make your claim to be part of this team. But you're here to do the team thing. You're here to do this goal. So if you want to work on this, uh, you know, let's say your department or university and say, okay, we're putting our thing down. We're going to do this thing. 
you want to do this thing with us? You come and join, and we do this thing. And the way to break out of these things is to stop, you know, like we touched on before, but we didn't sort of elaborate, is this name recognition thing. You know, anonymizing is good, but stop. Just, just, have, a, just have a group. Just have University X pancreatic cancer research team. That's it. Stop it. And the money yep. goes to that team. Yes. And you find you if you did that, you'd find you'd actually hire team players. Oddly enough, if you if you stick with the lead and final, all you get is final megalomaniacs and bloodthirsty lead authors, which is what you get, which is what science is, and which is what academia is. And I'm sorry yeah. to say that, everyone, but that's the way it is. And it's you know the people that exist in that system profited from that system. They don't want to change that system because they control everything. Exactly. And the, and the sad thing is, I mean, I'll talk to everyone in the world because hopefully thousands of people will see us. The truth is a lot of that comes from your money. The vast majority of that. research in the world is public money. Public money. Uh, NIH, public money, dudes. It's it's your tax. Oh, yeah. It's, exactly. Exactly. So, and, you so, know, they're controlling that. And they control yeah. the ebb and flow of that. And you see yeah. it go to X number. I mean, I used to work at one of the most profitable institutions in there. It's in Baltimore somewhere, and I'm sure you know what it is. But my, my word, they do very well on their grant funding. Uh, lots of other, other very good colleges in, in the United States. But blimey, some disproportionately get it. And I'm sure they have smart people there, but they're also smart people elsewhere. And this is, yeah. this is where you end up with this apartheid system. And it's sort of, it is, you know, there yeah. are people that are more, more equal than others. And it's just not true. And in so many other parts of culture and society where we're making developments, we're changing that. We're looking for equality and egalitarianism. We're not in science. Virtually not. We're still having this horrible system in which there is an elite and that is yeah. perpetually maintained by this system. And a system is not is is run by private journals who hide behind things and use opinions based on their so-called knowledge experts. And it's sort of it, if you ran that in any other circumstance, people would say, "Wow, this isn't right." <laughs> and it and it isn't and it isn't and it's interesting, especially here in the U.S. So I I didn't go to school here in, here in the U.S. So I'm still. Every time I see publicity, like ads on TV about this university and that university, it's just an incredible number of universities. And then you have the Ivy League schools and the rest. Mm -hmm. And so if you end up, if you publish, if you're in a good lab or high impact lab, you publish in high impact journals, you end up most likely at an Ivy League school, which means that you will most likely attract more funding to, again, feed that vicious circle. Which mm -hmm. to me, it's just, wow. You know, I, I went to school in Canada. I went to school in Montreal. And, you know, there is University of Montreal, McGill, University of Quebec in Montreal and Concordia. Yeah. And that's about it. There is no other, you know, there's colleges, but these are the main universities. Yeah. And, and that's that. You get there. You do what you have to do. It's difficult for everybody. But there aren't 10 million other universities within the province. Exactly. And, and that's, that's one thing. The other, the other interesting thing is 
and and I do agree with you on the fact that there are instances. I wouldn't generalize to all the labs, but most of the time there is, yes, that problem as to who is going to be first author and then who started the project. And then you're very protective. I've heard stories of, you know, someone stopped writing their names on the on the cell culture media and his cells started to, you know, not be contaminated anymore. And it's just it's just ridiculous. Yeah. But then again, it's a reality and we don't talk about it. We don't yep. talk about these problems because mm-hmm. I don't know, it's taboo somehow because it, we don't want to talk about them because we want to focus on the science. But oh, then take, well, yeah. please, just hold on one second. Hold, hold your thought. Then then again, the other part of the you know science cell nature journals is yes, they're high impact factor. And you assume culturally that if you publish in that, you're going to be successful and the work has you know high impact but you have to pay a lot of money to be able to even submit in that mm-hmm. journal and then mm-hmm. let's say you do have the funds to submit in that journal you've done excellent work you finally go through that one year plus of review because they come back to you with an arm long set of experiments that you need to do mm-hmm. You know, especially if it's not even the scope of the paper and they tell you you have to do, you know, mouse experiments, you finally get that. And then when you, you want when you want to read your own paper and you lose your university access, you don't even get access to your own paper. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just mind boggling. It's the because this is the issue is that people i mean it's because it's dangerous to speak out you know so you know the simple fact is me and i'll and i'll say this and okay and it's like you know oh i don't criticize anyone that works at these journals but i criticize in which the way people assume and assess the quality of these journals it's just not true uh there is quality everywhere and it just depends on what you want to do if you're one of these big super trophic people that control lots of money or lots of influence what do you want to do perpetuate the system or get things done and you can say they they will all say well these people are the greatest because they publish in this and so therefore these are the people that need to get this job done but it comes back to this manhattan plot concept of like it's the one genius that does everything yeah and you know what it's never like that. I mean, my kids are at school and we always talk about famous inventions and stuff or famous people that come through with things. Sure, there was Newton, there was Einstein, there was Pythagoras. But you know what? I think there's lots of other people as well. I don't think for a millisecond it was just that one person. It's this, exactly. it's this cult of individualism. And we both know many, you know, when you get that big golden medal in in Stockholm and stuff, it's like, dude, there's a lot of people that did a lot of work for that. Yes, <laughs> exactly, exactly. This is the pinnacle of science, the pinnacle yep. of what we do, and we know people in the game, and we know they're good scientists. But you know what? It's more than one person, way more than one person. And so to to create a system that proposes that this concept of these one or two geniuses that control everything. It makes that system go, but is it making science go? Is it making health discovery things go? Is it making an equal system go? Is it improving people's uh, well-being? It might be, but it might be faster if we try something better yeah. and think that there are untapped geniuses out there. You know, 
So my kids, they will say, is Usain Bolt really the fastest guy on earth? It's like, I don't know, because there could be somebody out there who's really fast that we haven't seen yet. Yeah. And it's like, what do you want to do? Do you want to perpetuate the system or get the best answer? And the best answer is ask as many questions as possible. And that means asking as many people as possible. Not just going to the knee-jerk, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll call up MIT and we'll talk to that guy. And he's genius. He knows everything. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I would almost propose, would love to propose to, to, you know, run an experiment and like generate a parallel system. Yeah. Where it's... See who wins. Like, yes. Yes. Because, you know, you, you put you put out there a very imp- interesting question is, is the current system allowing us to make important discoveries fast enough? Are we making yeah. people's lives better? Are we saving more lives? Yes, we are. But then the question is, could we do better? If we were not, you know, singling out that one person in their field and saying, well, this is the guy or this is the gal mm-hmm. that we need to to think about. But uh, you made a very interesting point about, you know, um, faculty positions and, and professors and all of this. And that's one thing that always uh, found, I, that I found fascinating. So as a professor, so you typically get uh, hired as an associate professor with a tenure track. And then you work, 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 you get tenure, and then basically no one can fire you and whatever happens, even if you have to close down their lab. And, and I think that's that's something, I get the, the need, there is a lot of effort put into the fact to get to where you are and mm-hmm. to get tenure. But I don't understand why someone who has had tenure, who is not contributing anymore at all, is is still at a university getting paid mm-hmm. to virtually do nothing. And that's also a problem because that person is taking up the space for someone much younger. Sure. Who could be doing way more. Again, it's again this question as to how can we do better? I think the answer to that is yes. Mm-hmm. But how can we get to that point where we actually get a data and say, well, actually, look, we changed something. And it's much better than it was before. Mm-hmm. It's a problem because I think I think you've hit on a, a huge point is that the the goal of the vast majority of scientists is to do that very thing, is just to reach a position of invulnerability by any means and for no other reason than itself. They don't have a drive to do their thing. They don't have to say, well, I'm doing this because of the cause. I'm doing this because of this cause. They'll all say that. And this is the problem. Every single grant is that, you know, it, it, it has the final sentence BS of like, this is going to cure cancer, blah, blah, blah. But really, they should say, yeah, this is just going to further my career until I get invulnerable and then I'm going to do nothing. And it's just not effective. It's like, what are you ending up producing? You're having people. And sure, you can say that they're producing X amount. And all universities do this. And please don't be upset, universities out there, for me. But it's just, it's just, you've, it, this is not good because you know what it 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 kills. And I see this in so many departments. Is there's no academic collaboration because the the, the journals and and their supremacy in this process and the structure of the archaic paper that we still write. I published a paper on this fairly recently, which is rather ironic. Ironic as hell. Uh, it, it, and this is this is uh, you know irony beyond belief, and I'm going to have to do my Blackadder joke here because it's one of the <laughs> greatest jokes ever in Blackadder. So Blackadder talks to Baldrick and says, "But 
irony. It's just a bit like goldy and bronzy, but it's made out of iron. And it's just such a genius. I always, I always throw it out. But the, the irony is, is we're trying to publish a paper on improving mechanisms to make papers easier to understand and to get and to improve the publication process. It took us years to do it. <laughs> it was just a nightmare. And it was just a nightmare. So we finally got it done. But just get rid of this concept of uh, position. Uh, and because position kills collaboration. So people, actually, I know people that don't want to collaborate because then they think, what's the point? You know, if somebody comes to me with an idea, he's last and his student's going to get first. What's the point of collaborating? What's the point? It, it, Again, yeah. You know that two or three years down the line, a lot of effort technically gives you nothing, which is so stupid because yes. that's the whole, whole point of science is collaboration. And this gets back to the, 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 the Manhattan plot and the Nobel Prize winners. It's never one person. But you see in most institutions and most places, the rewards are given to one person. It's just not true. The truth is, our successes have always been based on teamwork. And yet we paint it like the Newtons and like the you know, Edison, Teslas, you know, the winners and losers. The, the winners always write history. And yet the fact that the, those winners were always you know, part of a team, they just got all the glory. And this is the thing with yeah. science. We know it's a myth. Everything about our society. I mean, heroes in antiquity and stuff, you know, Achilles didn't fight all those battles by himself. There were lots of other dudes out there as well, but we only <laughs> know Achilles and Hector. It's the same in science. It's just not true. And so why don't we accept that fact and then make science in such a way that it does promote collaboration, it does promote output, outcome, not output. Output is a horror horrible phrase it just means i mean i can stack my papers up and blah 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 yeah. blah blah. but it's but to john q citizen out there what impact has it made and i know many scientists whose entire body of research might be seen as being academically wonderful it's virtually unknown and has no effect on society yeah. is that what supposedly smart people should be doing all their life i don't think so that's a waste either. of time because yeah. as i said it's, it's public money and yes. esoteric science, I mean, there's a certain, yes. I think, you know, so one of my old standards is, sure, I'm all for esoteric blue sky science, but you know what? It can go somewhere or it can not go somewhere. Choose the one that's going somewhere. And you know you're going somewhere when you state, oh, this is where we're going. Yes. 99% of science, it's that one little sentence at the end, oh, yeah, we're doing this for this. And it's not, you know, as I said, that should be front and center. That should be number one, not like a final afterthought to justify why you're still doing your niche esoteric science because it makes your life easy. You don't have to think about things. You don't have to change. We send it to the same journal, all the people you know in your field. It makes life easy. And they all pat each other on the back and they give each other grants and that's it. It's not innovative. It doesn't make people grow. And also, it doesn't pave the way for new thoughts or new people because those people stay in those positions forever become you know and i'm part of this problem making people live longer and stuff especially <laughs> in the states i mean in countries like europe we still have retirement ages but they sort of don't really work anymore because people hang on forever as emirati and stuff and it's it's it doesn't really work because essentially they anoint their next level and they keep them around and yeah. so i think a universities or organizations have to have bold concepts 
and put the thing. And this is the problem: is that the people in those positions of power are the opposite of what we should have. They are, as you mentioned, they are risk averse and they're counting the money. And it's like it doesn't work like that. Big successes are never made on counting bucks. It's it's made on saying, you know, a bold decision. You know, a bold decision. And, and and asking the hard questions as well as to you know if i were the dean of university x and i were i would go around and talk to everyone and ask them why are you doing this yeah i need to know what's your goal with this and mm-hmm. you made a great point by saying that you know the money comes from taxpayers so you owe taxpayers an explanation as to what you did with their money mhm Absolutely. I mean, if you have, if you've stuck your claim on the wall and said, this is what we're going to do, you have smart people working hard all together. And as I said before, even if you don't get there after 10 years, I guarantee you've got somewhere and you've got somewhere on that journey. Yes. Otherwise, if you don't have an overarching goal, you're just producing some stuff after 10 years, which every individual who's profited in that system has personally profited. Has anyone else profited? No. And it's just, it's, it, it is, I think, and I know this for a fact, academia survives by being isolated and esoteric. If it was part of the normal knowledge base of the outside world, people would go, oh my goodness, what sort of culture is this? What yep. sort of culture do you have here that is engineered and run in such I mean, this is such an old-fashioned, bigoted system in every way, every way. I mean, it's sort of, I work at a place, I work in a faculty, which is, if you look at the students, 80% female. If you look at the faculty, uh, 5% female, if you're lucky. And it's like, dude, what's going on? And this is like, I'm sorry, but this is 50% of the population, okay? And there's such huge disparities, and it's not even close to being bridged or changed or altered in any way, shape, or form. And you can run this with every other marginal type of group or personality. And the biggest, you know, as I said, this is sort of an apartheid. The biggest thing here is 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 based on these criteria which are invented and which are held by people with who weren't elected and who were in public organizations or in their private organizations to profit gargantuanly from this process. And if it's the best work, then it should be free. As you mentioned, shouldn't be locked away. I was trying to find a paper the other day, and I managed to get that because I'm pretty good with these things. But it's sort of, uh, you know, if it's that important, then you shouldn't be holding it back. You should no. be getting it out there ASAP. Yes. And it's, it's, it tells you a lot when you realize that people spend a lot of time and effort just doing this one thing as opposed to collaborating with as many people as possible getting things out there as quickly as possible to get the answer to people. Uh, Because patients are waiting, as Paul Janssens used to say, patients are waiting. People are waiting for breakthroughs and discoveries. And in field I used to be in quite a lot, Alzheimer's and dementia, it was owned and is still owned by thought leaders that are obsessed with a certain type of theory. And the drug companies bought this hook, line, and sinker 30 years ago, did everything they did properly, and it still doesn't work. That's only because those people ran the field because they owned the choice rights to those high-impact publications. And so that was the only thing that was believed. And therefore, industry goes, okay, we have these 
thought and knowledge leaders, they say this, and so this must be right. It wasn't right. Those people were not good scientists because they weren't doing science. They were just riding their hobby horse. And this is the problem, is yes. that if you're a good scientist, you just fix problems. You don't just, you know, a lot of what scientists do is to say, I've got, a, I've got a hammer. Is there anything that I can find that looks like the perfect nail for this hammer? Rather than saying, hey, let's find a problem and fix it. They just want to apply their thing to it, and that's it. And it's, it's, it's such, it, personally, if I was a student, and you know, if I could transport myself back 20 years and, and sort of make myself understand what science was going to be like, I would think, wow, that's not exciting. If that's the process of just, of not being an intellectual, I had these dreams of like people thinking and, you know, coming up with things and people from different disciplines working together and just intellectually discussing things and then doing the problems. But no, it's just people that have been locked in one little phase of their life, perpetually hanging on for persistence by repeating the same thing over and over again. It's not audacious. It's not exciting. It's not groundbreaking a lot of the time. That's the truth because of the reality of having to fit into the system. And the system yes. is just based on papers. It's just based on papers in certain journals, and that's it. And it's and unfortunate, definitely unfortunate. But, you know, I, I'm, I was just trying to think about uh, the past hour that we've we've been talking, and we kind of painted and put out there the bleak side of, of science, and we kind of shined a light on the problems. And I'd like to think that there is more There is there are good things and collaborations do happen. Yeah. There are labs that work well together where there mm -hmm. isn't, you know, this fight of who ends up first or last, or you know, you get your little star and you're very protective of that star saying contribute it equally. But I think <laughs> that well, it was a big deal. I was once a second on a paper because the person left the lab and I finished and you know got yeah. the paper through, but I still ended up second. Sure. And naively, as a graduate student, I was very happy. So every time I used to um, show data from that paper, it, it had the first and my, the first author's name and mine with the little right. star saying contributed equally. Because you feel the need to show that, you know, you contributed equally. That being said, I want to live in a world where all everything that we talked about, all the problems we talked about are not a thing of, a, of the past, but are acknowledged and we're doing something yeah. to, to correct it, to retain talent, uh, to, to get to a place where the majority, in the majority of cases, organizations, labs, teams have goals and yeah. they're working towards those goals. They develop processes, they track, you know, you mentioned having a big lofty goal for 10 years and then- yeah. Getting there, getting there time-wise, getting to that 10-year mark, but you need to be able also to track and see what happened in the past 10 years. Where are you on that scale? What did you do well and what did you didn't do well in order to say, well, we're going to push it out five more years because we think we got there 75%. Sure. And now we know what we could be doing or what we shouldn't mm -hmm. be doing. So I'm just wanna, I'm just trying to you know wrap wrap up the episode by taking it into a, a positive positive end. That being said, everything we talked about, I think it is a problem, and it needs to be put out there, and people have to hear about it. Especially, 
I'm thinking about, again, about myself when I was 20 and I started working in the lab and in my full, full disclosure, my, my advisor had told me, you know what, you absolutely want to do a master's and a PhD because look, you're going to end up having a great life as a professor like I am. And naive, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And naively, I thought, oh, okay, actually, this is really fun. Mm-hmm. You get to do fun science. You get to present at conferences. And then you work really, really hard. And then if you, if you work very, very hard, you end up in a faculty position. And you get to do research fun in your, you know, more fun and work with more people. And that's about it. But mm-hmm. there is a hidden side of all of this. There is a lot of ifs there and there's a lot of things that will not happen because the system isn't designed that way exactly it's it's sort of it it gives this concept of hard work gets equally rewarded and doesn't it doesn't it's so much politics but I, i think i'm glad that you you know i and i always try not to uh paint a black picture for people because I think that is bad because I think we should be encouraging but I think and I've said this before I'll say it again the beauty of this type of format and the beauty of this capacity to produce interesting and intelligent content hopefully on my side always on your side uh, I dream of intelligence every now and again I don't guarantee it but this is it this is this is the way to do it is to connect with people and to say this is my opinion. This is your opinion. We want to make things better. Sure, we might not be in positions to effect that directly as a hand of God sort of thing, which some people do have the power. My God, all you need to do is get those people just on board it. and then you'll see change. Yeah, just do it. It's just choice. It's just choice. We have just said, science nature is everything. That's it. We could equally say, no, it's not everything. Okay. And that's it. Yeah. And the important thing is outcome is to have pin, pin your research to a goal and tangible. And the beautiful thing about research is, you know, you can either find things along the way to somewhere where you don't know you're going, or find things along the way to you know where you're going. And you know what? Those things are actually practical that you can use for things. Otherwise, you're just hoping that random experiments, you know, we just have 10,000 chimpanzees hitting on keyboards and we'll get Shakespeare all of a sudden. You will do, but why not plan it? Why not engineer your whole system to engineer that success that even if you don't reach your goals the things that you've done along the way and the innovations and the practical new science that you've done have a practical application yes and get out from this academic sort of concept of oh as long as what you're doing is academic then it's good and it's okay that only survives in this economy of these journals and this position and this imprimatur because it's it's not a justification. It's just a, uh, well, it's not a, an achievement. It's a justification for people to say, why was this person in this position? Oh, because they had this and this and this paper. No one has said, oh, are they any good? Did they do anything or whatever? Yeah. No, no, no. They filled these artificial criteria that we've created. They're not real world criteria that are actually effective. Because as I said before, I know countless numbers of high flyers that have had their, you know, high impact science and nature paper, and then they've crashed and burned because Mm -hmm. they weren't behind that. They were propelled into those positions of power and some survive and some don't. But it's the concept of, I mean, I think it's behind everything is have a tractable goal and have that as what drives you, not the personal reward 
And as I said, we should have competing systems. And it's so either we live in a world where we can create this artificial system where we have billionaires that give us a whole bunch of money and they say, hey, I'm not interested in papers. Let's just get something done. Let's just let's just have yeah. a, a goal and we do it. So that's one alternative. And I used to have that at NIH all the time. It's just just find yourself a billionaire and you'll be fine. And it's like, sure, that's great. And there are ones out there. But the way we find them is communicating like this and putting our thing down and saying, and saying this is what we need and this is what we want. The other alternative is directly, we, don't, we might not need billionaires. There are enough of us out there as a movement to say and discuss and put these concepts out there. And I know a lot of scientists that have these concepts as well, but they're not as audacious or as provocative as I am, and they don't want to say these things because they don't want to rock the boat because they don't. But yeah. we have to rock the boat because it's exactly the only people that defend it are the profiteers of it. And it's sort of like talking to slave owners and say, do you think slavery is good? Yeah, I think it's good, don't you? It's like, no, it was really bad. <laughs> exactly. Thank thankfully, there were people that, that started to say as a movement, oh, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is yes. wrong. And it reaches a critical mass and we change it. Exactly. And we change society. And, you know, back then it was hard because you'd, you would have to have people going and talking to a crowd of people and saying, no, yeah. We've got a slop slavery. This is bad. This is bad. This is bad. We have a digital marketplace for this now. We do. We need we do. voices, and it can resonate tremendously. So I hope, ideally hope, that there are students and junior faculty watching this that think, oh, I can agree. I can agree with what they're saying. I can yeah. agree that this is a better way forward. And I can start talking to people, and I can start trying to impress upon people and say that this is not right. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I've alluded to these things all the way through. It's sort of like this. This is like a, you know, this is like a social history case. This is, and it's it's really important. Whenever we talk about these things, you know, we always end up discussing the really important thing about GPCR biology because it is really important. It is. <laughs> it is, and no matter what disease you can think of, there is a GPCR involved. It and, is. You know, it's no. difficult sometimes to speak up, especially if you're, you know, junior faculty and or you're a postdoc and you cannot fight the system from the outside. You need to shape the system from the inside. So mm -hmm. if our conversation for the past hour or so has inspired junior faculty to at least think about a 10-year plan to create your research with purpose in order mm -hmm. to change something for humanity, to discover something that will impact human health. Yep. And I think our mission, we, we achieved our goal with our conversation today. Mm -hmm. Because hopefully some of those people will become senior. Yes. And I, I'm also hoping that the senior people have, I know, I know, you know, a good friend of mine, Mark Schultz, he's head of science Europe and stuff. He's super progressive on these things. And actually, I know personally he's more progressive than he can say in public and stuff. But that's because he has to deal with people on a daily basis, like journals yes. and stuff. But we should be because, you know, uh, it's, it's really important what we're doing. And I can't stress that it will help people more if we can challenge and break through these doctrines and but it's just it, the academic institutions have to change and yes. they have to realize that they should be about solving things rather than just being academic career engines. I think for so many years, they're just academic career engines because academics, you know, yes. the high flyers 
get very rich, very lots of publicity, lots of glitz, lots of, and it's like that's just a glittering prize for people, and it shouldn't be. They should be the unknowns who have worked and toiled to help people in society. There should be the unknown scientist, and I think I use this phrase once. Told me somebody else is like the person I'm, I respect most is the person that's done all the work that doesn't get any recognition. Yeah, it's the it's the unknown soldier that that laid down their life for a, for a cause that was true and right. Exactly, and that's who we should champion, not the the person that climbs to the top of the greasy pole. And, yeah, no, uh, agreed, agreed, and I think you know we talked a lot about you know, trainees, and, and you mentioned at some point that trainees don't get paid what they, what they're, for their value. Absolutely. And that's something also that needs to be put out there. People have to understand that, okay, they tell you, oh, your, your, your value is X as a postdoc, at least for example, here in the U.S., and, but then because you're, you know, changing the world or your research is going to impact, but at the end of the day, you're not the one carrying that flag because people are not going to see you as mm -hmm. that person. And it shouldn't be a sacrifice that you have to make. You need to be able to have a, a normal life. I'm not talking about luxuries. You need to be able to make a rent and not Absolutely. decide which bill you pay first, depending on when, when pay comes in. Yeah. And I think a large part of the reason for that is this, this hierarchical winner and loser concept is because some yes. of the people that you're working with are paid 10 times what you're earning. And if yep. there was a little bit more egalitarianism, the pay wouldn't be as bad. Yep. And yep. it's, and also if the whole research field was to create something worthwhile and actionable, you know what? You might make some more money out of it that then gets fed back in. Exactly. And that's exactly. the whole point of it. There's nothing I have. I mean, you know, we have a startup and stuff. But our unique selling point is that we're not rapacious. We're not out to make vast amounts of money. We're out to make a lot of money to feed back in to make better discoveries. Exactly. That's what we're interested in. Sure, we'll make some money along the way, but that's fine because we work hard and we're smart and we do good things. So. That's yep. good. It's a win, 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 and that's it. So exactly. if your organization does that at universities, rather than saying, oh, yeah, our goal is to keep all these professors in their jobs for 40 years and they can do whatever they like because they know where the, the journals go, that's a horrible, wasteful, wasteful, because it is wasteful, because it's taxpayers' money, kids. It's wasteful, and it's not productive. Yes. And if you just hope that one or two winners come out of it, that's not smart. That's just mm -hmm. random stochastic chance. Why not be smart? If you're supposed to be smart, why not act like you're smart? And it's yeah. like, it drives me crazy. Have a goal. I, lo I love the idea of, you know, thinking in, 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 the, in the perspective of win, win, win. Because it's better for everybody. Yeah. It's, it's just better for everybody. And it's funny, we were talking the other day, and I don't mind. It, I'm just thinking about Dr. GPCR and, you know, I, I don't know if people realize this, but we've started this, or I've started this with, with my husband, and we had a couple of interns who graciously offered their time, and it was on a, it is on a zero-dollar $0 budget. Using current-day technology, uh, staying up late nights, waking up in the morning, and in order <laughs> to put out there something, and nobody, nobody pays me to do this. Mm -hmm. And I do it because I like what I do. And I'm hoping that our interns past and present do it because they enjoy 
my company. They enjoy, mm-hmm. you know, giving back to the field, doing something meaningful. And I hope that whoever's listening and whoever follows Dr. GPCR listens in because they enjoy consuming what's out there. Mm-hmm. And it, in my mind, it's a win-win-win situation. Because mm-hmm. I actually see, I actually see consumers as also contributors as well. Yes. Because they're being a party to this concept of change. I think everything we do yes. here is about change because this is a system, like we discussed before, which is an egalitarian system. It's a system of saying, hey, there's lots of people out there. Listen to as many people's information and advice as you can. There is genius in, you know, it's like the concept that you could meet God and sort of the, an old bag man on the street. Just treat everyone as though there could be something important. That's not a bad thing. You know, yeah. treat everyone with respect. Don't say, well, I want to talk to this person because they don't have a Nobel Prize. <laughs> Who are they? It's like, no, no, no. That could be really important. Yeah. Kindness, generosity, and interest and respect are just general issues. And I think I love these communities and I love this concept of the the power of being able to discuss and lay these things down for, you know, hopefully 10, 20, 30 years. People can keep listening. And just just being heard. If we change, you know, uh, many moons ago, it's like, you know, you have difficult times. And you just think if you just change somebody's life for better, you think, wow, that's as profound as it's going to get. I mean, having kids is wonderful, but changing somebody else's life who might have a problem or might benefit from the words that you say in just a discussion on a Saturday night and stuff, it's like one person is good and that's made it all worthwhile exactly but we can catch hundreds of thousands of people and people can keep hearing it and people say oh did you hear that did you see that just be the 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 change for good it's 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 a cliche but dude it's really really works and if we keep doing this and keep saying the good things sure we're not you know sort of harvard business review or something like that i mean they get lots of publicity and stuff but we can still do it. It might take a little bit longer, but it can be done. So the, the little people, the small people, and if, you feel, if you're a scientist out there and you're not a science or nature people, you can be heard because there, there is an audience out there for you and there's a platform for you. So Dr. GPCR is, is really doing that in, in a field that does contain huge people, but also contains small people. Yeah. And there's no difference. You know, it's, it, it's sort of... We really have to inculcate that in society. Yeah. Is that, you know, sort of in a weird analogy, it's like the, uh, you know, my favorite quote uh, about Abe Lincoln is, you know, sort of man is never so tall as when he bends over to help a child. You know, so Abe Lincoln's yeah. like the Nobel laureates and we're like little children and stuff. <laughs> but be like that. Be like yeah. that. The, 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 if, if the big people at the top get to hear that a lot of people want change, then they should feel responsible to say, okay, well, perhaps we should change. And we can change it on the way up, but it'll be longer. If the big people at the top admit that there's a change, it'll go real quick. <laughs> it's exactly, like, exactly. And, it'll you go know, real think, quick. Thinking back to, to our field, I feel like we're in a pretty good position because, you know, typically people in the GPCR field are kind. You can reach out to anyone. Sometimes you get, an, you know, you, you get one person who's too busy, won't answer, or something happens. but um, if I, if I have something to put out there for the for the junior people listening, 
yes, you should talk to everyone. You should talk to the second year PhD student or master's student, and you should talk to the Nobel laureate, or at least you should try to, because at the end of the day, we're all part of the same community. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, we all bring different experiences, and it's the sum of those experiences that make the field the way it is. And one thing I like to tell myself, we're all human. We all need to sleep and we all need to eat, whether we have a Nobel Prize or not. Absolutely. Um, and, and really breaking that down those barriers in our heads is very important in order to allow these conversations like the one we just had to happen. Yeah. It's, it's that discussion. It's that forum. And it's like, yes. this is a beautiful thing is that we, we're having a conversation here now. But tens of thousands of other people can join that conversation. They can join it as passive, but they can be part of that conversation. Yes. And you just don't get this in any other any other form. You might get public lectures by people, but that's it. It's over and it's gone. It's dead. It's ephemeral. Yes. This is a testament. This is this is going to be written this is down. We can't take it back. So we're going to have oh, <laughs> yeah, cell I, nature I, and, and science. I, I I always tell my kids, it's like I'm always going to be careful what Eddie says. Just but actually, I don't. I don't. I don't. I think I think it's I, I think people can smell genuine. Uh, yeah. If you are genuine, and if you're not, then it's it's you know who are you fooling? So right. I think you may as well be honest. And it's, you know, it's, it's a problem because the people that profit don't say anything. The people that don't profit they say, oh yeah, he's just a whining loser. And it's like, no, that's not the case. Okay. That's a really, that's a really simple cop out. And yeah. we're smarter than that. But I think tapping onto, obviously you have to finish soon, but the, I think, and this is what I always think about the GPCR field is that if if a change in academic functions and output and blah 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 is going to be affected, I couldn't think of no more uh, facile engine than the GPCR field because we are an output field, we are an outcome field because we are that close to something important. And when you find a target, you find an intervention, the gears of therapeutic development are now so big and so fast you could be four or five years away from something. And this is what we are trying to do with our work is to accelerate the 20 year drug turnover cycle to four or five years. We can do that now. And so because we have that capacity, we have this relative ease of saying, okay, here's our goal. Here's our 10 year big moonshot picture. We can do that. So as our field is so agile and so effective, in that process, we're the ones that could be the 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 push for change of yeah. the system. And I know a lot of people because we do hold a tremendous power with respect to public engagement because we're the people that make the medicines, you know. And it's like these have a you know. I mean, my parents are both old, and they take a stack of medica- medications every day, and it's sort of like, dude. You're surviving because of pharmacologists and GPCR people, okay? That's impact. That's real impact. So if we as a community decide to say, okay, we're interested in doing this and we're interested in – because we could do it. We could do it. We could set up cross-industry, cross-university, cross-organization, functional goal targets and say, if you're on board, you're on board and we do this. And – you know that there will be a goal. If those people work together and produce something in 10 years, you'll have a goal. And that goal could be enormous. And you know what? The outcome of that could pay for everyone. 
Exactly. It's as simple as that. I mean, we know that. So it's just, I mean, it's it's like the biggest single advert for come and work on GPCRs. But it's fantastic. <laughs> it really it is. is. It's absolutely. I mean, it is. If you want, if you're an inquiring mind, sure, you can go to work for Google Alphabet or whatever if you're an IT tech person. And that's an interesting, cool community, and I quite yeah. like it in a way, but it's turning now into a corporate community as well, so people are hiding things and stuff. The GitHub thing is open and stuff, and that's a great way. It's a different world of science, basically, the world of coding and stuff. But the GPCR people, we could easily do it, easily do it, because we have such capacity for deliverables. We could change the way academia is, because yeah. our output could be game-changing beyond belief i mean our our work is essentially trying to enormously expand the pharmacopoeia the pharmacopoeia is actually tiny compared to what we could do if we understand more about signaling uh so our we are the ones that have the power to do the big gold stuff and it's just it's just a choice it's just it a choice it so, is it is and having and the, the perfect please yeah, that's the perfect win-win-win, is that the workers will win because they'll work on something as a goal, as a group of team people, will change the crooked academic structure, and will produce something at the end which is sort of having an effect on people's healthcare and lives and welfare. Exactly, and, and it hits you know, right in the goal of, of Dr. GPCR and why I started, well, it started with the idea of a podcast and talking to people, but it eventually evolved into having the goal of accelerating GPCR drug discovery by bringing people together and providing mm -hmm. these opportunities so that we don't work in silos Yeah, and having, you know, meeting sometimes once a year, once every two mm -hmm. years, and then flaunting our data. And maybe mm -hmm. some percentage of that interaction will end up in a collaboration, really concentrating that yeah. and having being that funnel. And imagine if that community and that ethos could then affect a change in the way we do science and research that's profound with a capital p and we can do it and we should do it because yes. i think we are the engine for change because we do have that capacity so it's amazing and this is the beauty of this sort of capacity for internet discussion is that it can hit thousands of people, millions of people, hopefully, millions of people. <laughs> I don't um, know how many we are in the field, but I want to say hundreds of thousands. But if we, but if we change the way science is done, that's a societal change. And I think we have that capacity. And I think what you're doing and what the community is doing, the concept and the ethos can go to that. Right. I, I mean, before we talked tonight, I didn't really have this idea in my mind, but it's really serious now that actually what we're doing could really be that change and could it affect that and say, okay, this is, how, this is how and why we're doing research. There's always the why, and the why is a group. So I, I think there's, you know, with everything, I, you know, so I'll just finish up. Often I, I sort of, when I'm talking about bioinformatic analysis, I used to use uh, the most tweeted picture of all time, which is Barack Obama talking to the little kids in the window and stuff. And I'd show it to the students for like 10 seconds and say, okay, did you see the picture? And they go, yeah. What was in it? And they can explain it. And then I show them it again and I talk for a whole hour and you can deconstruct every little perfect little niche that has gone together to make that tremendous picture in there. So something simple like our discussion now 
and ending up with this conversation, you realize that there's actually an immense amount of potential in there with respect to just talking about academic achievement, to realizing that what we're doing here and that, you know, it's not specifically what we're doing, but it's the concepts of what we want to do. Yes. Have that capacity. And I didn't realize that until just now. I thought, oh, wow, this is it. We could, you know, hopefully in the future, this will be seen as the point in which we made a change. And I hope other people say that as well. And other people do that. And we're not the only ones because I don't want to be known as, oh, he was the one that did the change. No, 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 definitely. (laughs) I think think at the end of the day, what we want to get to is, you know, sit back and relax in 20 years and say, well, look at how many people were on board. And together we decided what shall we do next in order to improve human health, in order to make an impact. Exactly either on the academic, but also on, on, on humanity in general. Yeah. We want to find people that want to do it and not be known for it. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Because I don't, I don't care if I, if I, it makes me happy and makes me fulfilled and makes me think I'm a good person and a good scientist if I've done something which has a positive effect on somebody else. I think of myself as last because I think of, you know, my name is Stuart and Stuart is, means servant. And I can't think of a better way to serve my society and my my culture, my personality, my group, whatever. I'm a person of the world. Uh, if I can help somebody else, that's it. That's that's all I need to do to be a decent person. Perfect. That's that's a fantastic way to end. I there is this quote which turns out to be not to be an African proverb. The uh, the quote that I always use is that uh, it says, "If you want to go uh, fast, go alone. If you want to go together, go." Ah. I'll, I'll get it. So if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And uh, I think it's a really nice quote. No, I think that's perfect. I think that's, that's absolutely fantastic. So we'll, we'll end on that. Thank you so much, Stuart, for your time today. A pleasure. Thank you for listening to this Dr. GBCR podcast episode. I'd like to thank our guest, as well as our team members, Attila Forrest and Ines Pinero. Become a beta tester today and sign up for the new and improved Dr. GPCR Ecosystem 2.0 at ecosystem.drgpcr.com. Please subscribe to the Dr. GPCR newsletter, find us on YouTube, and if you like our podcast, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. You can also leave us a testimonial at drgpcr.com testimonials. Another great way to support us is to share your favorite Dr. GPCR program with your network and colleagues. As always, if you have any questions or suggestions, email us at hello at drgpcr.com. Until next time, stay safe.